0: Hi, this is Alan Stein, Jr., keynote speaker and author of Raise Your Game and Sustain Your Game. And I'm so excited to be a part of the Relationships and Revenue podcast with my friend, John Hewlin.
1: This is Relationships and Revenue. The show where real answers come from real discussions about what holds men back in their relationships at home and in business. A better bottom line at work means improving life at home. This show is all about helping you become a better entrepreneur and a better man. Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. This is your host, John Hewlin, and I am thrilled to have all of you with us today. And as you heard from that introduction, I have the one and only Alan Stein, Jr., Alan, how are you?
0: I am fantastic, John. It's so great to be with you.
1: Thanks for being here. Man, I am super pumped. It took a while to kind of get this thing to come together. Mostly that's my fault for not getting things sent when they need to be. Folks gotta be upfront about that. So it's on me, but we're, you're here and that's what's important right now. Now folks, absolutely. if you don't know who Alan is, let me give a very small, very brief introduction of Alan. Now he is, as he said, he is a keynote speaker. But he is also a performance expert. And let me tell you how I know he's a performance expert. Not just anybody. gets to work with people like, oh, I don't know, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Kobe Bryant. I mean, those are just a few of the names of the amazing folks that Alan has worked with and helped with his expertise in this area of high performance. Now, not only that, he's worked with some companies, some, you know, some little ones you've probably heard of before, like American Express pepsi sabra oh let's see starbucks charles schwab penn state football and then he told you about the two books that he's written raise your game and sustain your game and for those of you who can see this here they are that's right these amazing books by the way which i have thoroughly gone through and ingested and mm, oh my gosh so so good so alan i've we've said all that about you And those are all wonderful things. But what I want to know, and I think what helps our audience connect best with you to begin with is this. We want to know how did you get your start? Tell us about how that all began and what led you to where you are today.
0: Well, basketball was my first identifiable passion. It was my first true love. And I fell in love with the game at five years old. And I'm immensely grateful that here, four decades later, basketball is still a major pillar of my life. And I'm, I'm just so thankful that I've been able to not only make a living, but build an extraordinary life uh, around something that, that I'm so passionate about. And you know, for the, the first portion of my life, I was a very dedicated basketball player, uh, was fortunate enough to play up through the college level. I played at Elon University, a small school in North Carolina. And when I was graduating Elon and uh, I could recognize that I was not going to be able to play professionally <laughs> and needed to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, um, I figured nothing could be better than combining my original love of basketball with a very newfound at the time, love of performance training and strength and conditioning and fitness. So I thought what could be better than combining these two passions? So I became a basketball performance coach and I moved from North Carolina back to my hometown uh, a suburb in Maryland, uh, just north of Washington, D.C., and became a a basketball performance coach. And uh, I chose to work mostly at the youth and high school level. Uh, that was an area that I felt I could have the biggest impact, that, that I could serve as a role model uh, to those athletes uh, above and beyond what I was helping them with on the court. And uh, I was able to do that for just over 15 years, and uh, I was, you know, had the opportunity to work at two really renowned high schools here in the D.C. area, uh, both of which have produced over a dozen players currently playing in the NBA, and, and, and being at two renowned programs like that, it opened up doors to do some contract work with Nike, with Jordan Brand, with USA Basketball, so I, I got an opportunity uh, to work with, work alongside, and observe some of the best players to ever play the game. And then you mentioned some of them in the bio. Mm-hmm. So I've had a very unique, um, vantage point of being able to see what it takes to climb that proverbial mountain and reach the top of your craft. But I've also been able to see what it takes to stay there and sustain high performance, sustain excellence, and most importantly, sustain fulfillment with what fulfillment with what you're doing. Um, And I've now taken all of that, all of those lessons and disciplines and mindsets and strategies that I learned through the game of basketball. And and I now translate that to the business world and to, as you like to say, civilian life and show folks how they can apply this stuff um, to every area of their life. And that's that's one of the parts I enjoy most of my work uh, is that translation with these principles of high utility. In showing folks how they can apply them to their lives. And that's what I do now. I uh, I, I work primarily as a corporate keynote speaker, uh, but I also enjoy writing books to help supplement that message and scale that message and am um, uh, having an absolute blast doing so.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, folks, um, every time I tune into something that, that Alan's doing, I'm just like, I learn. Alan, I am always learning from you, man, all the time. And I am passing that stuff along because that's what I think is so great is that, you know, One of the best things I heard was from a coach years ago. It it taught me a tremendous lesson of what it means to be a person of influence, and that is this. What you received didn't originate with you, and because it didn't originate with you, that means it doesn't really belong to you. Because it doesn't belong to you, it is meant to be shared. So share your best stuff, not your leftovers. Because if you're good enough to get great stuff and you pass it along, that means you're good enough to get more great stuff. So keep on sharing the great stuff with other people. Oh,
0: man, I absolutely love that. It, it, it reminds me of a, a quote, which is more of a guiding mantra in my life. And that is a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. And that's really how I view my work um, is my goal is every day when I wake up is to light as many candles as I can. And, mm. you know, sometimes I get an opportunity to do that one on one like a conversation with you. Sometimes I get to, to do that one-on-many if I'm on stage giving a keynote. Uh, sometimes I get to do that You know, from a social platform and share something, but I'm with you 100%. You know, I'm, I'm 46 years old and I recognize that the, the, the tenets and principles and pillars that I share on leadership, communication, culture, these are not things that I invented. This is stuff that was, was taught to me, uh, was mentored to me, these are things that I learned from reading, watching, and listening to other people. So I very much want to be a steward to pay those things forward. And you know, I, I do so through my own authentic and genuine lens of my own experiences. So I, I may package certain things slightly differently, and I may say them differently, but, but that's the reason we need more people doing this type of work. Because the way I may say something, or the way I may package something, or the way I may relate to something that's happened in my life, Might resonate differently with with people, and and that's what I I think is so important. So yes, I'm constantly consuming this type of content, but then I want to put it right back out into the world because it's not mine to hold on to.
1: Wow, love that, and I love I love your heart there, man, and it really comes through. Believe it or not, not only does it come through in what you're saying now, but it comes through in the posts that you make on social media. It clearly comes through in your books. Uh, It comes through in your talks. I mean. People can see that. There's a reason you get to keep coming back. Yes, part of it is your abilities as a professional speaker. That That is a big part of it. I'm not downplaying that part. But we have both seen professional speakers that said great words, but you could, t- I mean, through the eyes, dead on the inside. And it's, yeah. there's nothing behind it. You know that. And th- those people, they don't get asked back because there's nothing there. For
0: sure. And and another one of the reasons that I'm very thankful for the work I do is it holds me to a very high level of accountability. You know, not, not a pressure from anybody else, but a self-induced pressure because I want to make sure that I am living and modeling what it is that I preach from stage or on page. You know, to, to me, one of my biggest fears, and I don't mean a fear like it keeps me up at night. It's not something I'm worried about, but, but in, intrinsically, if someone were to see me behaving in a manner that is not congruent with what I share on stage or what I share on page, By my definition, that would make me a hypocrite. Uh, And that is one of the last words I ever wanna be associated with my name or my brand. So you know, the things that I I share, I want to live up to those. Now, with that said, uh, I acknowledge that I'm flawed and I'm fallible. I'm far from perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm gonna say the wrong thing occasionally. I'm gonna have a lapse in judgment. So this, this is not about holding myself to an unrealistic standard, but it's about doing the best that I'm capable of consistently to live up to what it is that I'm preaching for others to do. And, um, you know, I, I often say from stage, uh, and I think this is important from a, a vulnerability and humility and connection standpoint that everything I share, I'm not coming from a place of mastery. Like I have not mastered any of this stuff. Um, now what I can say with a tremendous amount of pride and a huge smile is I've made progress in many of these areas. Uh, I'm proud of the path that I'm on. You know, I, I'm I can say right now at 46 years old, this is the happiest, most fulfilled and most successful I've ever been in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Now, with that said, if you were to have me on your show one year from today, I'm hoping I can make that same claim because I'm hoping my my arrow is pointed up that I'm going to be working towards self-actualization and I'm going to be making incremental improvement and progress in each of these areas so that that I'm constantly working towards being my best self but I haven't mastered any of this. And, and whether it's a conversation like this, or I'm giving a keynote, I want folks to know that I'm in the struggle with you, that, that I find that the same things that you find challenging in relationships, I find challenging as well. But I have uncovered some frameworks and some constructs that have helped me improve. And that's my goal is to share those in hopes that they'll help the audience as well.
1: Yeah. Now, I'm wondering if, if you have discovered this both in the, the arenas that you have shared, meaning on stage and on page, which, by the way, I love your phrase. And if you haven't coined that, you need to. Um, I, you get full credit from me for doing that. So
0: I'm pretty sure I stole that from somebody else. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I will say, and, and I didn't mean to interrupt, but there is a no, there's a difference between being a creator and a curator and i'm at a point in my life where a vast majority of the things i share i have not created them i am simply curating them from a variety of different sources and because um, i'm a voracious reader i devour podcasts you know i'm on a lot of stages so i get to see a lot of other speakers i'm consuming so much content part of where i believe i can add value to others is in the curation of that is is taking the best lessons from these things running it through the filter of my life and what it is that I believe and want to endorse and sharing that with others. So um, I, I would give credit to whoever said page and stage. I don't even recall who it was, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't me. I think that's something else I've just curated.
1: You know, I, it's that's really great that you shared that. And I hope, folks, that, that you really caught what Alan was saying there. I think far too many folks who occupy the same space that you do, Alan, don't admit to that don't say that you know this isn't my stuff I'm getting this from all different kinds of sources I'm just packaging it in a way that kind of looks like me and sounds like I would say it but it it doesn't originate with me and so it's it's important to be able to do that uh just to let folks know it's like you know what this is a great concept and I love this thing by the way I got it from so and so okay it's in, in the old days, you know, when, when we were in school and we were typing out our papers on a real typewriter, you know, you had to give credit to people. Otherwise, that's called plagiarism. I know people don't think that's a big deal anymore because it doesn't seem to be that they care about that. That's a big deal to me. I don't want to take credit for somebody else's stuff, but at the same time, I would prefer that they not take credit for my stuff. I'm sure so you feel the same way.
0: I, I do. And, and one of the things that's interesting with that is I devour so much content that sometimes these things seep in almost unconsciously. Like I don't even recall, but my guess is just out of nowhere for the first time, I said on stage or on page without even a, a conscious recollection that I had picked it up from somewhere else. You know, I, I do a, a a lot of long distance running. That's something I've gotten into since the pandemic started. And and I choose to listen to podcasts while I'm running. I actually find that the conversational tone um, helps keep me at a more even keeled pace, which is what I'm looking to do when I'm, I'm running long distance, and it kills two birds with one stone. If I'm going to be out running for 90 minutes and I can also feed my brain for 90 minutes, um, that's incredibly helpful. But because I'm running, I'm not taking any notes while I'm doing that. I'm, I'm simply being present, enjoying nature, and absorbing the material. And I found that there'll be something that can be unconsciously planted in my brain while I'm listening to a podcast. And then three weeks later during an interview like this, it can just come out. And I don't even know where it came from, um, so yes, anytime I can give specific attribution to something that I've borrowed from someone, I always try and do it, but I also recognize there are times where i I do it unconsciously and accidentally and don't even know who to give credit for. so uh, I'm with you on that and and you know to me, what's most important is that the good messages are being paid forward and are being shared and 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 I'm like you if if someone take something that they read from Raise Your Game and wants to share it, it's nice if they can give me a shout, but I'm also not too worried about it. As long as the, mo- the, the, the message is moving forward, that's what's most important.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, I, I do something similar to that. Uh, you mentioned about being a voracious reader. I am as well. And about that's now going on about seven years ago, uh, I really get into every book I read every single one it's like it's the only book that's ever been written that's how much i get into it and i tell people about it well some people like they know i read a lot and they're like oh then i should read that and they're like where can i get a copy and the person that i am here borrow mine well it started to get frustrating because i wasn't getting books back (laughs) and i I got to a point where i was tired of being frustrating frustrated and so alan this is what i did I, i made a decision that moment it really was kind of an epiphany i had just start buying two books john just start buying two every time. That way, one for me, one to give away. That way I'm giving it, I don't worry about that book. Now I do know of all the books I've given away in that time. At least one has been shared that I know of 7 times. Wow. Yeah, that particular book ended up in England at some point. I do know that.
0: That's super cool.
1: And again, it would have t- it touched lives that I never could have. And that's what I think is so great. And that's what I do with the same kind of thing with you. It's like what I'm sharing with other people, I give it to them, yes, in the hopes that it's going to change their lives, but also that it did so much that they will in turn share that with other people.
0: Oh, for sure. Now, I love that concept. And, you know, one of the things that I think is cool, um, I'm often labeled as a motivational speaker, and that, that's not how I define my work, but I understand what people mean when they, they say that. And, you know, if you look back, Now it's been about 40, 50 years when kind of the motivational speaker craze started with, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Jim Rohn and and Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy and Les Brown. And then you have Tony Robbins and, you know, some of these that that belong on the Mount Rushmore, you know, they were the ones that kind of started this industry that that I so now, you know, that that I so benefit from. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I think is even cooler than that, like a lot of the principles that I share and believe in go all the way back to Stoicism. Like you're talking about stuff mm-hmm. that uh, not only is is decades old, but thousands of years old. And many of these principles still hold true. So, you know, some of this stuff was originated, you know, a, a several thousand years ago, and it's constantly been retold and repackaged in different ways, trickle all the way down to present day. So, you know, I recognize that this stuff has been around a lot longer than I have been, and will be around a lot longer than I will be So I'm just trying to leave my thumbprint on it at present by just sharing as much quality stuff as possible. And, and, and that's one of the things that I think allows each one of us to be unique is we get to run it through the filter of our own lives. Like I get to share this stuff through the lens of an amicably divorced father of three. I get to share it through the lens (laughs) of a former basketball performance coach. I get to share it through the, and, and that's, what, where I think there's some power in this. So, um, yeah, I, I, I love your philosophy and your perspective on continuing to share things forward. I love the idea of buying two books uh, and, and passing one on. That's tremendous.
1: Well, I've got two responses to what you just said, Alan. Uh, the first one is, folks, you know how I am. When I have authors on, I have to do this. So I'm offering this right now. When you are consuming this particular episode Get out your handy-dandy phone. You need to take a screenshot of this particular episode. Tag Alan and tag me on Instagram. When you do that, the first person to do that is going to get one of Alan's books signed by him on me. I will make sure you get it. Just let me know which one you're interested in. Either raise your game or sustain your game. We will make that happen. Love it. The other thing is I also happen to be an amicably divorced father of three. These are mine right here
0: gorgeous pictures man i love it
1: thank you thank you yeah i've my oldest ethan he's 22 he goes to kansas state university he's a senior there uh my middle child andrea she's 17 and my baby here tatum she is 16 she actually turned 17 this saturday
0: oh cool we you're a little further down the path than i am i have a 12 year old twin sons and a a 10 year old daughter so okay um, Yeah, that's, that's really cool. And I, I commend you for being able to put the word amicable and divorce in the same sentence, because, uh, it's been my experience that unfortunately most people can't. Um, a a lot of people have had some very tenuous and stressful and, and really hard divorces and I have nothing but love and compassion for those folks, but I'm really grateful that my ex and I, um, are better friends now than we were when we were married and we make really good co-parents. Um, and, and that's something that, uh, I say with a lot of pride, because it's taken work on both of our ends to, to make that happen. Um, but boy, am I thankful. And, and I do believe our, our children will reap the benefits of, of that type of functional relationship.
1: Sure, sure. Uh, the way I phrase it is, the relationship I have with my ex-wife now is really more of a business partnership. And our so, business is the children. Love it. So now, since mine are older, it doesn't require as much hands-on or day-to-day attention. Yep. as it did. Uh, it certainly has been a little more challenging since, uh, about four years ago, she moved away to Austin, Texas. And mm-hmm. so that was a little more challenging, Of course, but, um, you know, with the one in college, I mean, he's on his doing, his. you yeah. know, I digress from that point. Um, let's talk about the five C's of, uh, a high performing culture. Cause that's something that is, that's kind of your baby. And so tell us not only what that is, but why is that important?
0: Well, if you, you, why don't we do this? Why don't you just lob me one of them at a time, each of the okay. five, cities, and I'll, you, you give me the word and I'll go ahead and unpack each of it. Nice. That way we'll, we'll stay nice right. and, and per, uh, uh, sequential.
1: All right. So number one is cohesion.
0: Cohesion is, is, the way I look at it is almost the gelling of a, of a group of, of people. You have a group of individuals and cohesion is their ability uh, to play nice with each other, to work with each other. Um, I, I look at it uh, almost like a jigsaw puzzle. And you look at a jigsaw puzzle and every single piece is a slightly different shape, a different size, a different color, and, and, and plays a different role in what that final mosaic will look like. But each and every one of those pieces is incredibly important uh, because if you're missing some of them, then you won't end up with the, the beautiful finished picture. Um, and cohesion is the ability for all of those pieces to fit together so seamlessly. So when you finish a jigsaw puzzle you just see one final picture, and to me, that's ultimately what we're looking for from a cohesion standpoint.
1: Okay. Number two, chemistry.
0: Chemistry. Uh, let me say this: with, with the five C's, they're all somewhat interrelated. I mean, they're interdependent for sure, but they're somewhat interrelated. Um, chemistry is that ability to work well with each other. It's it's a it's a um, almost an emotional feeling, and a an emotional intelligence is required to understand what that other person needs from you in order for them to be their best. And that's what I, I find with high-performing cultures uh, and high-performing teams is everyone understands you have to sacrifice a little bit of the me for the we. And and creating that chemistry is heightened when you can learn to speak the other person's language and when you can learn to value what the other person values. And of course, all of these things, um, become exponentially harder at scale. I mean, it's, it's easier to have cohesion and chemistry with a 15 person basketball team than it is with a 15,000 person uh, business or organization. So um, while the principles never change, just human dynamics dictate that it's harder to do these things
1: at scale. Sure, sure, I can only imagine. Uh, number three, communication.
0: We are always communicating. Even when we're not speaking, we're communicating. Um, certainly, we have our nonverbals. We have our tonality, our posture, our body language, our facial expressions. Um, but we also have a series of unconscious messages um, that we transmit when we're communicating even through spoken word. A perfect example would be, and um, this really, piggybacks on, on you know, uh, cohesion and chemistry. If you were to uh, delegate something to someone on your team, uh, the unconscious message that you communicate to them is I trust you. I believe in you. I think you're good enough to help me out with this project. That's why I'm asking you to do it. And, and that type of unconscious message will strengthen both cohesion and chemistry through communication. However, if you uh, uh, if you delegate something and then you micromanage them, you either literally or figuratively stand over their shoulder breathing down their neck you're you're now communicating a a very different unconscious message and that unconscious message is i don't believe in you i don't trust you and i don't think you're good enough to do this unless i'm standing over you and and that will obviously erode your culture your cohesion your chemistry and, and i understand that's that's very rarely the intent you know the the reason people uh, tend to to micromanage is they they're very uh, particular and finicky and specific on how they want something done. You know they've they've been working on certain skill sets for many times, decades in their own life, and they've they've gotten used to a certain level of, of standard and excellence. And the thought of someone doing it below that makes them really uncomfortable. So I I understand the reason behind micromanaging, but just because something's understandable, it doesn't mean it's acceptable. And you have to own the fact that the unconscious message you're sending is one of, of mistrust and, and that you don't believe in them. And that, unfortunately, will erode that relationship. It will erode that cohesion and that chemistry. So all I want folks to do is to be aware of these unconscious messages and be very intentional with the ones that they communicate to others.
1: Absolutely. Uh, number four, collaboration.
0: Yeah, that's really just coming down to, to playing nice and working together and understanding that um, not everything has to be a, a straight democracy or a vote but collaboration is an openness to hearing other people's ideas and inputs and feedback and, and let's come to some type of consensus on the best way to move forward. You know, collaboration is also being able to say, okay, here are the things that I do really well, the strengths that I can bring to the team, but I also want to acknowledge and praise you for the things you do well and the strengths you bring for the team. And now let's find a way that we can kind of maximize both of our strengths uh, and work together. And, you know, co- collaboration um, is acknowledging that sometimes you have a, a stronger voice or a stronger presence. Um, someone that uh, you know, their, their voice is always heard, but then recognizing that you may have some folks on the team um that you have to intentionally shine a light on that, that, that they may be used to kind of playing the background, but they still have some brilliant um, ideas to share and they can still make a maximum contribution if you're willing to give them the chance. And, and melding all of those things together uh, is ultimately how you have a
1: collaborative type culture. And then finally, number five, commitment
0: commitment. One of my favorite quotes, I had heard this from Pat Riley, who was the, the legendary coach of the Los Angeles Lakers back in the eighties. Uh, and then is now a, a brilliant GM uh, with the Miami Heat. And he said, when it comes to commitment, you're either in or you're out. There is nothing in between, you know, it's like a light switch. It's either on or it's off. There's nothing in between. Um, and, and for some reason that always resonated with me. Uh, I'm sure that I, if I I looked hard enough, I could find some possible exceptions to that, but generally I look at commitment as I'm all in for this. Like I I am all in with this team, with this organization. I've got your back 100%. I am fully committed to maximizing my role and making a maximum contribution to the mission and vision that we've set. You know, I am fully committed to modeling and living the core values that we have all agreed to. You know, I I don't believe that those are things that, that, that you can kind of have one foot in and one foot out. Um, I think when it comes to creating that type of high performance culture, you need a group of people that are all in. And if at any point you you come to that, that you don't want to be all in, then that's a sign that it's time for you to move on and to Mm -hmm. do something else. Maybe take a job elsewhere or, or maybe work in a different industry, or maybe even work in a different role within your own organization. Um, But we need to have everybody swimming in the same direction and everyone working towards that North star that's been set.
1: Sure. Now I can see how these principles apply in a workplace. Help us understand how that could apply in a personal way. Maybe, maybe even within someone's own family, because that's a different, I mean, it's still a team. It's just a different team.
0: It, it absolutely is still a team. And, and that team still has a culture. Every single relationship, every single organization, every single team, every single group, every single business, every single family has a culture. Uh, my only question is, have you designed that culture with intention or have you kind of walked backwards into that culture by default? But every group has a culture. And uh, one of the reasons that I love the work that I get to do is because these principles, they don't have any boundaries. Like This stuff applies personally and it applies professionally. This stuff applies individually it applies organizationally. You know, the, the the things that will make you a more effective and more impactful leader in the workplace will absolutely make you a better spouse or a better parent to your children. I mean, these these are our proven principles. And every single one of those five Cs can easily be applied to personal relationships, whether it's a, a one-on-one intimate relationship, whether it's a friendship, or whether it's the 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 nuclear family uh, dynamic, these things all Um, play the exact same role. And, uh, you know, the way they're expressed, um, there are certainly some nuanced differences uh, between maybe the way you would talk to family members and the way you would talk uh, at work, but the principles don't change. You know, you you need to be able to speak to others uh, with kindness uh, with inclusion, with respect, you know that's those those are the fundamental needs of establishing trust and building quality relationships. So that that's one of the reasons I love the work that you do, and am very thankful for the work I get to do, is because this stuff helps in every area.
1: Oh yeah, it definitely does. You know, you were mentioning emotional intelligence and how important that is. Um, in more recent years, within the last couple of years, I've heard a a, it's new to me. I'm not going to call it a new phrase. I'm going to say it's new to me. And I was, I'm wondering if it's one that you have heard of before. It's relational.
0: I don't know that I've heard it phrased that way and, and would love to do a little more digging and learn, learn more about that. I mean, I, if I go back to my original definition or the way that I process emotional intelligence, which is being able to recognize, understand, manage, and process your feelings and your emotions is always the baseline because um, but before you can even attempt to have a thriving, healthy relationship with another human being, you've got to be able to do those things for yourself first. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once you've been able to do those for yourself first, if you blend in some humility and some empathy and some compassion, then you're most likely able to do those things with others as well. So I've always considered emotional intelligence the epicenter of Relational or relationship and, and intelligence, but but certainly would love to learn from you if you want to expand on that.
1: You know, I, the best way I can do that, and folks, this is this is a first for the show. I have an opportunity to do something for Alan. Absolutely, and I welcome Alan. Him. I am going to send you a book. Oh, great! I'm going to send you. It's called Relational Intelligence by Dr. Darius Daniels. Fantastic awesome. book. That came out, I believe, in 2020 at some point. Um, but deals directly with this particular topic. It's fantastic. It, it synthesizes the information so succinctly. Awesome. Well, oh, I
0: look forward to reading it. I appreciate that. Yeah,
1: at time. least my opportunity to bless you today as you have Love. so definitely blessed all of us at this point. Love it. Speaking of books, let's get into your first one, Raise the Game. High Performance Secrets from the Best of the Best. So why write the book? Who's it for? And what can we do with the information that's in there? So I'm always writing
0: the book that mirrors what it is that I'm going through in my own life. So in essence, I'm, I'm writing the book that I need to be reading myself. And I, that. Um, I do that for a few reasons. One, I personally find it uh, equal parts therapeutic and liberating mm. to write about the things that I'm struggling with, the things that I need to learn, the things that I need to inch closer towards mastery of. So- when I made the very distinct pivot to leave the basketball training space in 2017 and, and make the leap to become a full-time corporate keynote speaker, um, I recognized that, that I was leaving an industry where I had built up some brand credibility. Uh, I built up certain skill sets and certain relationships. I mean, I was able to work with, with some really elite level athletes and I was making a jump over to a space where I had zero experience zero credibility zero brand recognition I mean you know I'm, I'm going to be talking to corporate executives and sales professionals and I've never had a corporate job in my entire life so I, I recognized that I needed to get crystal clear and hyper organized um not only on my content and on my message but on the steps that I was going to need to take to hopefully ascend towards the top of the craft and and I don't say that through a comparative lens like I I'm not worried about being a better speaker than anybody else. I don't spend two seconds focused on that, but I'm heavily focused on being the best speaker that I'm capable of becoming. So my goal is to to work towards a mastery of my craft and, Mm -hmm. and continue to strive for that. And that was really the impetus for Raise Your Game was figuring out all of these lessons that I'd learned through basketball, through elite level coaches and players, which of those principles could I apply to me, trying to climb this proverbial mountain of becoming the best speaker I was capable of and and, and that was reason- that was the reason for writing it and mm-hmm. you know I was able to to compile and curate tons of stories and lessons that I had learned through the game um and I also very intentionally wrote it in a way that I wanted it to be useful for others I may the the spark for writing the book is because it's something I need to work on, but I also recognize that the chance of these things being completely unique to me is almost zero, which means if it's something I'm having trouble with, there's a good chance other people are struggling as well. So I write the book in full service of others, but the reason for writing it is for my own self-improvement. So the the goal was to write something to show both individuals and teams, you know, how to climb that proverbial mountain and optimize their performance in any area of life. Mm -hmm. While I was doing that, I started to recognize that there were some nuanced differences between climbing the mountain And then actually staying on the peak for long periods of time and and how one could sustain that high performance and that that success and most importantly, that fulfillment. And that was the impetus for writing the follow-up book, Sustain Your Game. Um, and, And it became clear to me that there were three things that undermine our ability to sustain performance and fulfillment. And that is stress, stagnation, and burnout, which is the, the key tenets of the second book, mm. which also happened to be three things that I have struggled with in my own life for as long as I can remember. So I figured, hey, uh, as in a, you know, for me to improve my ability to manage stress, avoid stagnation, and beat burnout, that's got to be the topic of the next book. And then being able to pay that forward. Uh, and it just so happens that this all came to a head during the pandemic, which I believe exponentially heightened people's stress, stagnation, and burnout. So it was also an opportune time to be able to share that. So that's really the way I look at the two books. One is all about the climb. The second is being able to sustain it and have some joy and fulfillment while you're doing it.
1: Wow. That really brings it home, man. Uh, I was thinking about this earlier when you're talking about your runs and what you do when you're out doing your running and your training. Tell me about some of your favorite podcasts you like to listen
0: to. Sure. And To elaborate on the reason that I do, so I I really don't identify as as being a runner. And and quite frankly, I don't really love running as a form of exercise. I love you there, man. I love being outside. Yeah, I love listening to podcasts and I love how I feel when I'm done. Yes, yes, yes. Those three things outweigh that I I won't say I have a distaste for running, but it's not one of my favorite things in the world to do. But Mm. having identified as a basketball player for most of my life, You know in the game of basketball basketball is is a series of intermittent sprints of high intensity you know you're you're not jogging around the court at a slow steady pace (laughs) you are running jumping and sliding as fast as you can and then that's followed by very short periods of rest so as an athlete i've always been conditioned to going as hard as possible for as long as possible and then taking enough rest to recover so when i got into some long distance running I had a tremendous amount of difficulty pacing myself. You know, if if I was going to go out and run five miles, I'm running as fast as humanly possible for the first half mile, and then I'm completely out of gas. So I had to learn how to run at a slow, steady, sub maximal pace. And I found that listening to something of a conversational tone and connecting to my breathing. So when I'm running, I only allow myself to breathe through my nose. And if I cannot get enough oxygen through my nose, then I know I'm running too fast and I have to slow down. So, the combination of those two things has created a nice, nice pace for me. And because now I, I do some ultramarathon type events, I run some really, really long distances. Yeah, in my training, you know, I, I'm running for 10, 12, 15 hours per week. So, devouring those podcasts has it, been amazing. I mean, I'm taking in more content now than I've ever taken in in my life just because of that. So that's kind of the reason for doing it. Um, okay. I, I have a pretty wide swath of, of podcasts I enjoy. Um, I enjoy some of the traditional interview shows that focus kind of on self-improvement. Uh, the Ed Milette Show, uh, School of Greatness with Lewis Howes, uh, impact theory with Tom Bilyeu. Um, then I also enjoy some things on on the comedy side um, I have a strong affinity and respect and appreciation for comedy um, especially stand-up comedy um, so Kevin Hart has one called comedy goldmines um, smart list with Jason Bateman and will Arnett uh, and Sean Hayes is one of my favorite um, I've always been a huge Conan O'Brien fan I find him mm-hmm. really funny and he has one called Conan O'Brien needs a friend so so these podcasts while they are still educational, I mean, I get some nuggets from them. They're also very entertaining and there's some levity. So I usually kind of alternate back and forth. You know, on one day's run, I'm listening to something super intense uh, with a guest in the self-development space. And I'm kind of, you know, filling my bucket that way. And then the next day I go for a run and I listen to something a little lighter and funnier. Um. But one thing that usually unites them both is you get to hear about people's journeys. And, you know, you you hear of a stand-up comedian that that maybe has a Netflix special now, but they dig deep into what they did 20 years ago when they first started and and what it was like for them to make the climb and and share some things behind the scenes before they made it to this, this level. And and I've always been fascinated by people's journeys. And, and I love seeing, you know, where they've come from, what they did on the climb, how they work towards mastery of their craft. So uh, I'd say all of my podcasts for the most part can be divided into those two buckets.
1: Gotcha. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to throw one in the mix and you, you tell me what you think of it after you have a chance to check it out. Now, please. But for those of you who are regular listeners and viewers, this will not surprise any of you. Uh, Leadership is one of my things. I I cannot consume enough to learn about leadership. And my absolute favorite podcast, I do not miss. It's once a month, so it's it's not like it's a difficult one to consume on a regular basis. It's called the Craig Groeschel Leadership Podcast. Okay. Craig Groeschel happens to be the pastor of the largest church in America. Oh. It's called Life Church. It's based out of Oklahoma City. Uh, They have 42 locations in 11 states. So it's not one church. It's 42 locations in 11 different states. The reason it's impressive to me, because if you listen to it, you would be hard pressed to figure out that he's a pastor based upon what he's talking about from a leadership and teamwork perspective. More than that, his organization of paid employees is about 800. His network of, ones, of people that he's in charge of, the volunteer network, is tens of thousands so he has nothing to hold over these volunteers' heads, but he's able to communicate a vision in such a clear and concise way that people have almost automatic buy-in to everything that's going on. Seriously, it's it's an amazing thing to watch.
0: Oh, well, I will definitely check that out. It, it reminds me, and I don't know if you're familiar with Andy Stanley. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, they're good friends, so yeah okay yeah because I, I I'm a huge fan of, of Andy's podcast and of listening to oh his-, his
1: leadership podcast is also f- fantastic
0: yeah and and to what you said what's you know uh, obviously I know that that faith is a huge part of Andy's life mm-hmm. but you don't necessarily know that he's a pastor when you're listening to his his podcast I mean he he's again talking about um principles and standards of high utility that that mm-hmm. No, no boundaries. So, yeah, I'll absolutely check Craig's out, and I, I appreciate the recommendation, man. I'm picking up some great stuff. I got a book and a podcast that I got to check out because oh, I love it.
1: I mean, I mean, this is how great it is. I mean, Craig in his sermon series he's doing right now, he's talking about mental health. Mm. Right now, I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, he wrote a book last year. It's called "Winning the War in Your Mind," and it's mm. about uh, not exclusively, but it has a lot to do with uh, neuroscience. Yeah. Uh, which is another one of those things that, that I'm way into. I mean, I've actually had an actual neuroscientist on the show. Oh, cool. Before. Before. Yeah, I, I love her, to death, Dr. Haley. She's amazing because what she does is she takes something that's so gigantic of a subject yep. and she's able to condense it in such a way that everyday folks can understand it. Oh, wow. I mean, I she's it. even developed, which is fantastic, and it's something that I'm looking into for myself. She's developed a certification process for coaches Hmm. to be able to use this neuroscience in their coaching practices. Wow. It's, oh, it's, we can talk offline about that. It's real good.
0: (laughs) Sounds great. I appreciate (laughs) the recommendations very much.
1: Oh, you bet. You bet. So I want to know, What are you doing right now, Alan? Because this is called the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. What are you doing right now to build into, to improve, to make better your most significant relationships, whichever ones those are? And what impact do those relationships have on your business?
0: So it's interesting when I look at at the variety of different relationships, I mean, certainly one of the ones that's closest to my heart is the relationship I have with my children. and you know, as, as their father uh, and have certainly worked hard to take steps to help fortify and and strengthen those relationships. Um, And then, you know, I I also have some very uh, influential and significant business relationships. Uh, My younger brother is actually, I I call him my digital ninja. Uh, He's my right hand when it comes to um, our podcast, our videos our email newsletter, social media content. Uh, so he and I speak on a very regular basis. Um, I have a manager, and agent named Michelle Joyce that, that we're in contact almost daily, uh, as we're continuing to build the speaking business. Um, you know, the, the one that I have not cracked the code on and I'm still trying to figure out now that I'm in my mid forties and back out in the dating world and I'm single, <laughs> it is the, it's the, the relationship. And, uh, yeah, that's one that, that, Yeah. I haven't cracked that code. You know, I know,
1: man. All right. Let me speak into that for just a minute. Sure thing. I've I've been divorced for 12 and a half years now.
0: Okay. It's been seven for me.
1: Yeah. Longest relationship I've had has been nine months in that time on purpose. The last four years I have not dated. Oh, on purpose. And the reason I haven't is because I just was not finding the right person. And it took me years to figure out I needed to focus more on being the right person in order to find the right person, which I have done. I have done the hard work of becoming the right person. And when I first got divorced, man, I had a laundry list of things I wanted, (laughs) a laundry list. And I had some things that I didn't want. And I got to tell you now, those lists are reversed. (laughs) The thing the absolute have to have, it's pretty short for me. But the things that I am avoiding, whoa, is that long. (laughs) And, you know, I have developed, I don't exactly know how I did it, but I have developed an ability to be able to tell once I meet face-to-face, I know in less than two minutes if there'll be a second date. I know it immediately. And so I've had several first dates over the years and very few second dates. Okay. And, well, and honestly, i will that clarity. Yeah. F- for me, it's because I know that I want to be married again. That is a goal of mine because mm-hmm. I miss that connection with somebody. And so because that is a goal of mine, if I don't think this person is marriage material, why would I waste my time or theirs for that matter? That's I, kind of I, the big thing for me.
0: I love that. And I'm intrigued. And I'm for more clarification, certainly not to, to question or push back, but h- how can you figure that out in two minutes? I'm just curious.
1: I've developed, um, I mean, I've gotten to know whoever this, this woman is, over time leading up to the meeting face-to-face part okay that makes sense so i there is a sense inside of me that has developed and it it, typically it's it's the interaction not only between us but the way she interacts with other people sure and i can just kind of tell um not not that this is the only litmus test this is a part of it Um, I've heard women say this a lot about men that there's somebody that they don't see a future in based upon how they treat like a waitstaff. Sure. I do the same thing. I, I employ the same techniques and I'm just like, I just wait. I just, I just kind of see, I want to see, I I ask very interesting and open-ended questions so I can get more feedback. I stay away from yes, no questions if at all possible. (laughs) I want to know. I mean, especially when my kids were younger, yeah. um, you know, I needed to know, is this person going to be suitable as a stepmom? that wasn't it's not as much of a consideration now because my kids are older, yeah, and so there wouldn't be that kind of role probably at this point, but for you, there still would be and it's like that's important. Of you have to know that um you know, one of the criteria that I use right now uh it's I've had it for a while, but and, and you, you may have come to this conclusion. This is something I came to. Since I have been both married and I'm a parent, I know that I got to be with somebody who's been at least one of those <laughs> before. Yeah. I tried dating you know, women who had never been married and never had kids. It was just, it was horrible. I felt like I was parenting her and, it, and at the same time trying to teach her how to re- have a relationship with somebody who's been married. I'm like, you know what? Even if you did it wrong, Even if you were like the worst marriage partner or the worst parent, at least you have the experience of going through it. So I I don't have it within me, Alan, to teach somebody both. Yeah, I just can't. That sounds very arrogant, and I don't mean that in an arrogant way at all. It's just I don't have it. It's like I got to have something, some base. You know, part of what's important to me, um, you mentioned Andy Stanley earlier, is my faith, my background. It's not... It's not a, a box that fills up among other boxes for me. It is that what's, what's the word we used earlier. It is the, um, I guess maybe, I don't know. I think of it as kind of like the glue that holds everything together in my life. Yeah, cohesion. It, it, it permeates everything sure. that's going on. And if that isn't there, if we don't have that in common, there is no future. There just isn't that may sound very short-sighted to some people, I'm okay with that because it's it, to me, it's that important. Oh yeah.
0: Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a list of non-negotiables. I mean, it's, uh, especially if, if you know yourself well enough to know, um, what things need to be in alignment and yeah, I'm with you. I, I think when someone has been married or has children, it just gives them a heightened level of empathy of, of what you're going through and they they have an understanding of that. And uh sure. yeah, I, I I can totally, I can totally resonate with that. And and I love your approach. And it's one that I take as well. And instead of worrying about finding the right one, just work on becoming the right one and then just have the belief that you'll attract that type of person in your life at some point. And um, you know, for me it's more about making the space and giving the <laughs> effort to put myself in the position to meet the one because um you know, I devote a tremendous amount of time to my work. I devote a tremendous amount of time to my own self-care, as we've mentioned, running and training for different events. And I invest a tremendous amount of time in my children, you know, for the 50% of the time that I have them, I want to be very present with them. So I find that those three buckets at present monopolize a good portion of my time and attention. And I have to learn to make the space to allow some room for someone else to come in. And I, I don't think I've always done a great job of that. Um, to many people's surprise, uh, I'm actually very heavily introverted. You know, I, I enjoy solitude. (laughs) I enjoy alone time. Um, you know, and you know, when, when I'm traveling and I'm speaking, when I'm done speaking to an audience of 2000 people, you know, after we've exchanged some pleasantries afterwards, I can't wait to get back to my hotel room just to sit in absolute silence and not see another human being until I catch a flight the next day. And it's not that I'm antisocial and I love people, but that's what fills my bucket. So um, that's another area that that I've, I've had to explore because there's plenty of times where I have a night off and many people say, well, why don't you go out? Why don't you go you know, hang with some friends? Go and I'm like, no, I need my solitude and my alone time. So I, I know that that one of the things I've done is prior to a, a few weeks ago, I was heavily reliant on the dating apps and using the apps as a filtering way to meet people, you know, and and the apps on some level are an introvert's dream because you can kind of look for a potential mate from the comfort of your own house, sitting on your couch. You know, you don't have to go post up at the local bar or take a cooking class. Um, but, but I found that, that that was fraught with some issues as well. So, um, (laughs) I'm learning to navigate the space. I'm having fun doing it. I do get a chance to meet some really amazing people in any interaction I have, whether it's a first and only date or it extends out, I'm always thankful for the opportunity to meet somebody new. And to your original question, whether it's the relationship with my children, some of these business relationships I have, or for a potential mate, I've worked really hard to become a better listener, uh, to become more empathetic and compassionate, to be less judgmental and recognize that that people are going to do things and say things and believe things that are different than what I do. And that that's not always a bad thing. Many times, that's actually a, a great thing that, that can expand my own horizons. Um, I try to lean in with some curiosity and some fascination, uh, similar to the point you just made. You know, On a first date, uh, I tend to ask a lot of questions because I'm genuinely curious in the other person's journey and what they've been through. And I, I love to learn from them. I'm not bashful about sharing about myself, but I do ask a lot of questions. And and I found that some of these traits, you know, genuine curiosity and fascination, empathy and compassion, being a good listener, being tolerant and inclusive of other people's thoughts and beliefs. If I can lean in with those things, they tend to enrich all relationships with my children, with folks in the business world, and certainly with the potential mate. So those are the areas that I'm trying to continue to level up so that hopefully I can be the type of person that attracts the type of person I'd like to spend time with.
1: Definitely, definitely. Tell me one habit you think every person needs. If you can't limit it to one, give me your top three. Sure,
0: I recognize the fact that I skew towards loving structure. I love consistency, I love routine, and I'm almost militaristic and maniacal with like my morning and evening routine. And I don't suggest that everybody views it through that lens. That's what gives me comfort and it's my own preference. But I don't think everyone needs to do it in that manner. But I do believe that everybody needs to create some semblance of a morning and evening routine for themselves, whatever that may look like, even if they're just very loose frameworks. Um, I, I think it's easy to, to look on social media and follow some type of guru who says, you know, you need to be up at four in the morning. You need to drink a green smoothie. You need to meditate. You need to do yoga. You need to climb a mountain. You need to read three books, you need to have your coffee and then wake your kids up and get them ready for school. And it's like, I, I don't know that that's realistic for everyone. It, it may work for that person. So I don't, Believe there's a one size fits all. But I do believe that if you're working to become the best version of yourself, you need to learn how to start and end your day in a way that allows you to do that, whatever that may be. You need to end the day in a way that allows you to get peaceful and restful sleep so you can recharge your battery. And then the next morning, you need to start your day in a way that primes you mentally, physically, and emotionally and spiritually to be your best self. So you can tackle whatever is on the, the, the slate for the day to the best of your ability. So I would say one of the most important things someone can create is some type of morning and evening routine. But within that framework,
1: there's a huge variety. Sure, sure. Okay. What's coming up for you that has you excited right now?
0: Well, at the moment of this recording, I don't know when this will actually go live, but this is right before the Labor Day weekend. I'm driving up to Maine to compete in an ultra marathon event called Last Man Standing. Uh, and I've done it the last couple of years, and uh, I am far from the last man standing. I'm actually <laughs> very much a novice compared to some of these elite level runners. But I really enjoy the event. Um, it allows me to push myself mentally and physically uh, every year. I make new friends, uh, and I get to hang around people that are really high performers in the craft of ultra running. Uh, it's a great chance to be out in nature, uh, and it's just it's just a fun environment. So, uh, on the personal standpoint, I mean I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that um, after Labor Day. I've made a commitment to signing up for a few open mic nights uh, and giving my hand at some stand up comedy. Uh, stand up has been something I've I've been enamored with and fascinated by for my entire life and really respect that art form, uh, study it religiously as a way to improve as a keynote speaker, but I figured now's the time for me to actually dive in and, and give it a try. Um, and then I've got a couple of uh, trips coming up for some keynote speaking, and then I've got a trip to Disney planned with my children in, in November. So. I've got several things on the docket that I'm, I'm super excited and looking forward to. And I do that with intention. I always make sure outside of my work that I have something on the calendar two to three months down the line that either I'm looking forward to, or I need to train and prepare for. And I find that doing that. So over the course of a year, three, four, five things, uh, it keeps things fresh. It, it keeps me excited. It keeps me on point to train and to look forward to something. So yeah, I always aim to put something with intention on the calendar.
1: All right. Well, I love to hear that. Can't wait to hear how the uh, last man standing event goes.
0: Yeah. So for a little bit of context, there is a, it's a, a beautiful area called Pineland farms in Maine, and you have to run a 4.2 mile loop. It's a trail loop. So it's run through the woods and you have one hour to complete the loop. Anything under the hour that you finish is yours to rest And then every hour on the hour, they start a new loop. And the race isn't over until there's only one runner left. (laughs) For a a little bit of context, last year, I was able to complete 10 total loops. So I ran 42 miles and I was one of the first people to bow out. The winner ran 36 loops. So basically ran for 36 straight hours which I can't do the math, I believe is close to 150 miles. I mean, it's, it's remarkable, yeah. So, you know, it's one of these things where even though it's called a race, I'm not there to race anybody else. I'm there to compete against myself, to see if I can beat a previous best, but most importantly, do the best I can, enjoy the experience and, and have some fun. And if I can check those boxes, whether I get six loops or 16 loops will be irrelevant. That's just the byproduct. I just want to make sure that I do the best I can and I have some fun while I'm doing it. So yeah, I'll certainly keep you posted on that. And then I'll I'll dovetail into that new challenge of stand-up comedy, which won't require any type of physical preparation, but mentally and emotionally, it will be incredibly uncomfortable. It will be a very new challenge. I mean, it's it's pretty funny to me that I could give a 75 minute keynote right now and, and not miss a syllable. And yet coming up with four minutes of material for a stand-up open mic is going to prove to be very challenging but i i look forward to leaning into that challenge uh and doing something that that will absolutely make me a little uncomfortable
1: well i applaud you alan for doing that not because it's stand-up but because there are a number of speakers out there that i can remember when i first started doing public speaking that were way more gifted than me way more 10 years in they were at exactly the same level they never improved because all they did was use their gift they didn't make it their own and they didn't work at their craft i had to work at it and i got better i was better than them that really sounds like i'm full of myself i'm actually not but i was better Because I put the work in. I did the things that need to be done in order to get better. And I continue to do that. I find a variety of ways to try and get better. I find little things to tweak here and there to make it better. I mean, oh my goodness. I mean, I've even gotten to the point, and you'll appreciate this as a podcaster, I'm about this close to creating a course for podcasters to teach them how to speak. Oh, cool. Because there are so many out there where the content is fantastic. The delivery makes me want to stick forks in my ears. It's so bad. But they don't they don't know how. They know the subject, they just don't know how to deliver it. Yeah. Um, you know, I pick on Gary V all the time about that because he's got great content. He's a terrible speaker. <laughs> he's terrible. I I can't stand listening to him. I'm a communicator snob, Ellen. I got no problem saying that. None whatsoever. Just because you have something to say does not mean you know how to say it.
0: <laughs> I love it. No, I appreciate you sharing that.
1: Yeah, you do fantastic. And how can folks find you?
0: Well, the epicenter of everything I have going on is at allensteinjr.com. That covers mostly what I do from a speaking standpoint. Uh, I have a supplemental site, strongerteam.com that has info on the books, the podcast. Uh, I do a little bit of exclusive one-on-one coaching and I have an online course. Uh, I'm very easily found on social media at allensteinjr.com. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Um, I take a lot of pride in not only being accessible, but being very responsive. So um, if anyone listening or watching this, if something struck a chord, if you have a question, you want to share something, um, just shoot me a DM on Instagram or LinkedIn. I'm very good about getting back. Uh, And then certainly if anyone has an interest in either book, uh, just search Raise Your Game or Sustain Your Game in Amazon or Audible or wherever you like to get your books and audiobooks, they should be easily found. And uh, this was a lot of fun, man. I'm so glad we got together and were able to do this. You do a terrific job.
1: Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. And folks, I can attest to the fact that Alan definitely gets back to people right away because he definitely does that with me every time. All right, Alan, we're going to jump right into that final four because I know we're on a bit of a clock here. So I'm going to jump right in. Here we go. Question one: Why did God create Alan?
0: To light other people's candles. That goes back to the original mantra: A candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. Um, I spent most of my life lighting candles in the basketball space. Now I'm trying to light candles in the corporate space and in the personal space. Who knows what type of candles I'll be lighting 20 years from now, but I know that being of service to others and contributing to something bigger than myself is absolutely my my core mission.
1: Absolutely. Question two, what are you doing, reading, or listening to right now that's helping you grow? So
0: to piggyback on what we just talked about a moment ago, I study two different forms of spoken word, stand-up comedy, which we mentioned, and, and hip-hop. Um, and even though I'm going to throw my hat in the open, uh, uh, open mic ring, I don't have any intention of being a professional comedian, and I'm clearly never going to be a, a rapper, um, <laughs> but I, I love learning from both of those different genres on ways that I can better communicate and articulate my message. Um, I think both of those uh, art forms are, are masters at creating imagery at storytelling, uh, at creating a visceral response. I mean, I, I can think of some hip hop songs, uh, even songs that I might not condone the content, but they make you feel something. They, mm-hmm. And ultimately, that's what I want to do on stage. Uh, I want to be a masterful storyteller I want to move people to emotion because emotion is what gets people to change behavior. And ultimately, that's what I'm looking to do is is help people level up their behavior, their habits, their decisions, and their mindsets. And and if I can become a more effective communicator, I believe I'll be able to do that.
1: Okay. Question three, what do you do for fun? Most of what
0: I do for fun is kind of in the self-care space, which I know makes me the biggest nerd in the world. I mean, I... (laughs) I find reading and listening to podcasts fun. I find, you know, uh, taking yoga and and ice baths and training for an event. I find that fun. Certainly, I find things with my children enjoyable. And but most of the things that I try and do with my children are actually things they find fun, and I get enjoyment by participating in something they love to do. And sure. one of the common bonds we have at present is all three of them are are pretty into basketball, which certainly is. Well, you know, s- been a, such a surprise. Yeah. So it, <laughs> it, it's a great bonding mechanism. You know, they're at the ages now where we play some two on two. So it's the, my twin sons versus my daughter and I, and we have an absolute blast. It's, it's been one of the cooler things we've been able to do as, as a foursome.
1: All right. What
0: are you most grateful for? Uh, a long list. I'm, I'm grateful for my own health, uh, my own vitality. Uh, I'm grateful for my children and my relationships Uh, I'm grateful for the work that I get an opportunity to do. Um, You know, I don't mean to sound cheesy. I'm grateful for every person that is still listening to you and I right now. You know, someone that has invested well over an hour into this, what I consider to be a very fun and lovely conversation, but it's not lost on me that they've had to invest the most important and vital currency they have, which is their time and their attention. And I'm grateful anytime someone devotes their time and attention to me, whether it's in a podcast like this, or whether it's on stage or on page, that is never lost on me. So I, I have a really long list of things that I'm I'm incredibly grateful for.
1: Well, Alan, I'm grateful for you and for you investing your time with me and with our audience today. We are better because we got to spend time with you. So thank you. My pleasure. And thank you to all of you for tuning in today. As Alan mentioned, We don't take it lightly that you've invested your time because it is your most precious resource and you cannot get it back. So thank you for doing that. And we'll look forward to seeing you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlin. Thanks again for listening. And remember, passion gets you started purpose keeps you going. Have a great day and we'll see you next time. Bye.